Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Hello everyone, nice to see you all. Good to see everyone. They've got a spotlight on me today from the back. It's really, really cool. Lovely to see you all this this morning. Um, just before we say anything else, we've got my those friends that Kate was telling you about, Rich and Libby. They some of my best friends. Grew up with them uh, in Durban. We did went to church together. We did university together, and they are the real deal. They are they are uh, crazy people. They love Jesus phenomenally, and they just have been God's doing something in their life, just unlocking the supernatural. And it's just, it's, we really are excited to have them with us. It might not be your uh, ideal frame of reference, but I want to say, step out, come to one of those things. It'll be a really eye-opening time. I believe that you're going to be equipped and encouraged. So I can't wait to have them. It's going to be a lot of fun. They are a lot of fun, the couple, and uh, I think you'll enjoy them as well. I'm just going to put this here so I can see my notes. We're back in the hall. It's really exciting, back in the hall, which is really cool, cool being the operative word. We will have some heaters next week. I see some people, Monique, there just hunkering down for the winter. Good. Some people going to hibernation. It's really, really cool. So just with us, we are. Uh, we just want to remind ourselves, I think these are amazing moments, to remind ourselves that church is not defined by the building or venue you meet in. It's by the people who you do life with. But it's really exciting. We were, we were, I think we just want to commend you. We moved a, a few months back to the conference venue, uh, because of the circumstances with the school. They were doing some things in here. And, uh, the amazing thing is we were feeling the pinch even with space. And because of that and, and because of other circumstances, I think God has orchestrated for us to move back into the hall for, for this time. And I believe we're going to grow into this space even more. Uh, I just also want to say and put it out there that we are, we are trusting for our own permanent venue. So we're just saying that. We've got no plans or anything, but if you've got a venue, <laughs> or if you've got really deep pockets, but uh, more importantly though, I want to ask you, just can you, as people who own this community with us, can you be praying and trusting? We want God's timing, we want God's wisdom. There's something beautiful about being in the school, and we still want to serve the school and this community from this venue. It's a blessing. They have been a huge blessing to us, so we still want to honor that. But we do are trusting that God's growing us, that God's going to give us a venue that we can call our own and make our own and, and, and have services from. So be praying, and if you've got any wild ideas or wisdom or thoughts, come and share with me. If you've got lots of cash, come and share with me as well. Anyway. But it's really good to be together and be back in the hall. But just as a challenge, I really feel if we want to warm up the place, there's no better way than with humans. People. Otherwise known as people. So invite friends. We want, I'm just so encouraged that we are growing as a community, but we never want our venue to be the limiting factor. We'll put out more chairs. We'll pack this place, but we're wanting to be the best church for the city. And that means we are people who are always inviting and reaching out because that's what God has done with us. He's always inviting and calling us into more. So really, really cool. Bring a friend. It's exciting. We've got Father's Day next week, and we're going to make a big deal of dads and have a good time. Great time to bring some friends as well. But we are in a Galatians series. I hope you've been enjoying it as much as I have. I've been loving it. It's been uh, really good for my soul as I've been reading the scriptures and allowing it to do work in who I am. But we're going to carry on and press on with that. If you are new or you want a little bit of a recap, here's a three-minute recap. Paul is writing this book, the six-chapter letter to the Galatian church, and he's writing it with one intention. He is fighting for their freedom. He is fighting for this this church who have who started off strong but have slipped into a bit of legalism and and, and have losing their joy on this journey. And he's writing a six chapter letter with one purpose, saying, "Actually, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. 
Don't go back to a life of slavery. Don't go back to that. And we've been saying in the series that, and out of this letter, that there's two areas that the church often fall into, that, that individuals, and if I look at my life, that I have fallen into as I follow Jesus. And the first is on this side, the cage of legalism. What I mean by that is means by with one hand I'm holding on to Jesus. Jesus, you're everything. But actually I'm just, with this hand, I'm just actually saying, you're good, Jesus, but for me to earn blessings, to earn favor from you, I need to do something. One hand with Jesus, but one hand trying to earn my favor with Jesus means actually I'm actually being imprisoned in a thing that I think I'm having to work for something. On the other side, there's this thing called the swamp of licentiousness, the swamp of, of just thinking, I, actually, Jesus is good. I've got one hand on Jesus, and that's, that's cool. But with this hand, I, I'm free to do whatever I want. And I, and I just pick up other things, pick up addictions, pick up habits, and it, it ends up just, and we call it a form of freedom because I'm free, he'll forgive me, which is true. But it's just a form of freedom, masquerading as freedom. Both are attempts, both are errors that the church has notoriously over years, centuries and centuries, fallen into the cage of legalism and God has had to rescue them out of it. And then often we fall into the swamp of licentiousness and God has to rescue us saying, actually, I've saved you neither for the cage or the swamp, but for freedom. Not to have one hand on Jesus and one hand on the law or one hand on Jesus and one hand on sin, but actually having two hands, both on Jesus. We're called to be a people who are obsessed with the beauty of Jesus Christ. This series is not about sin, it's not about effort, it's actually about Jesus. And we're wanting to preach Him clearly as Paul has done in this book of Galatians. So my aim this morning is to remind us again and again that you and I, as Christ followers, are meant to be the most free people in the world. That is our design. Not because of who, what we can do or we've got a foot up on other people. No, it's because we're holding on to Jesus. And if you hold on to Jesus, He will always lead you into more freedom. So my aim this morning is to get into our hearts a little bit deeper and push us on in chapter 3 of this text. And I want to say maybe you're here today and you've been holding on with one hand to guilt, to shame. One hand, you're holding on with addiction. You're holding on to pride, anger, frustration. My prayer this morning is that you and I would let go of those things as the Word of God starts to do work in our hearts. And we'll take a hold of the beautiful Savior named Jesus more and more. And we won't have any time for anything else because we're preoccupied with the one who leads us into greater and greater freedom. Is that cool? Give me a wave if you're still alive and not that cold. Thank you so much. Really, really good to see you all this morning. We're going to read some scripture, Galatians chapter 3. And just to keep the blood flowing, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to read scripture. It's going to be on the screen. 22 verses. Are you guys up for that? A lot of scripture going down here this morning. So it'll be on the screen now. There we go. So this is how it starts. O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit... Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles amongst, among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. 
What's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. But those who depend on the Lord to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by keep trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child, and that, of course, means Christ. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we would be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. It's great to read scripture together. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we thank you right now for your word. I thank you for the power of your word. It's only your word that can bring life. So I pray again and again for my own heart and for our hearts as a family this morning. We don't want to just be stirred. We want to be changed. And Father, I also want to say thank you for the Springboks win. And help the Proteas batting order this afternoon. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may take a seat. It's really good to be together. It's really, really exciting. I'm in love with what God's doing through the Word of God. It's so good to be together and read Scripture. It really is a powerful thing as the Word of God does its work in our hearts. But just to let you know, there's this character that pops up in the Scripture. And I'm going to bring three points in and and help us work our way through that text. But there's this one character that Paul brings up in chapter 3. And he comes up again in chapter 4, and he actually, Paul uses him in the book of Romans as one of his prime case studies, and it's a man named Abraham. And just for those who, who might not know Abraham, Abraham is Paul's trump card of an example of a man who believed God and experienced, walked into the freedom 
that God had from me. It's like this, the poster boy that Paul keeps bringing out. Hey, let me point you back to Abraham. Remember Abraham? Because Jews trace their descendants to him, but he's also, Jews would listen to this, Abraham. Okay, tell us about Abraham. How, how, what did happen there? But it's an amazing thing because if you flick back in your Bibles and if you want to go read Abraham's story, Genesis chapter 12 all the way through to around chapter nine, uh, chapter 22, chapter 23, this man's story, Abraham, his beginning is actually, he's the most unlikely guy to be used as a case study years later for what it means to be a godly man. Unlikely. I'll tell you why. His dad, Abraham's father, for a living made idols. So he would go and he'll find out, hey, what, guys would come and say, well, listen, we've got this new God we want to put on the market. Can you fashion us a few idols? Sure thing. Assembly line, and you churn out the different idols for all the different gods that were available. That's Abraham's dad. So years later, when Abraham heard God speak to him, Abraham would have run back and said, Dad, God spoke to me. And his dad said, great, which one? That's the religious background, the pedigree he probably bought into it. What's more is Abraham himself was known as a stargazer, a sun worshiper, a man who used to find his spirituality from looking at the stars, looking at the sun. That was who he was. He was a man who found, what am I going to do this week? Flick to the back of the U magazine and see a star sign. That's Abraham. That's his level of spirituality. What is more, what's even more about this man is that he was actually uncircumcised. Which is not a big thing these days. But in that culture, for a Jewish man, Jew, Jewish, this whole book is about the Jewish Judaizers want to make the, the Gentiles circumcised again. Paul's actually saying, just remember, the father of your faith wasn't even circumcised. Oh, it's a bit of a thing to go back there. But what's even more about this man was he was very old, the Bible tells us. Not my words. The Bible says he was very old, 99, when he received the promise. And, and on top of this was he is a man who had no heirs. He had no sons, no daughters. He was a man who, him and his wife, had tried and tried to fall pregnant, but they could not do it. He's 99. He's very old, the Bible says. He's got no future, basically. At the end of his life, the Abraham line is done. And it's God who meets this man, this unlikely character. The man who years later had probably had no clue that Paul, a great orator and defender of the faith, was going to use him as a prime case study. This is the man that Paul uses. And God meets Abraham in this thing. Just some background for you. God says to him, Abraham, I want to bless you. I want all nations to be blessed through you. And Abraham's like, that's great. How's this going to be happening? You're setting up a trust fund for me? or Because I've got no kids going forward yet. And God says, actually, if you believe in me, believe me now, I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars. It's amazing. Preaching's thirsty work, sorry. I thought I'd just leave you on that cliffhanger. This amazing invitation. He says, if you trust me, I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars. And, and Abraham, this, this, the scripture, Galatians tells us there in verse 6 and 7, says, Abraham dared to believe God. God. He said, actually, he believed God, and God counted that as righteousness. Not, not his, his acts, not, not this man who actually, well, God didn't say actually if you, first of all, if you stop doing the idols thing, if you stop doing the stargazing, get circumcised first and then we can talk, buddy. No, no. He said, believe me. And Abraham said, I believe you. I'm in. And what happened? God started to go, made this promise. He, the promise he made to Abraham reaches through the new, through the old covenant, past the old covenant to a new covenant. And it was always pointing to one who would come and fill it all, Jesus Christ the one who would become the answer for all of us to enter to become Abraham's children was through Christ. It's an amazing story that Paul brings up. So I want to bring up this opportunity this, this morning for us. It's very hard to see. 
easier to see. Yes. What Paul is doing in this, this, with this man, Abraham, basically what he's doing in chapter 3, if you're wanting to know, is he's moving his argument on and fighting the same thing, fighting for freedom, but he is la- raising up on one side the promise through Abraham, and on the other hand he's saying, and this is what the law has got, the benefits of the law and the benefits of the promise, and he's saying, I, I, I'm begging you, believe the promise. Because it trumps the law. That is what he is doing, Paul is trying to do in this moment. And he is actually calling them in paraphrase. He's saying, guys, let go of that. Let go of the, the benefits of thinking of trying to be right. And actually start believing right. And watch everything fall into place as you hold on to Jesus alone with both hands. Paraphrase. That's what Paul is doing in this moment. So today what we're going to do is I'm going to give you three points on why the promise is better than the law. Is that all right? What the promise of God does for you and I, why it is so powerful. And if we believe it and take hold of it with both hands, I believe our lives are going to become more and more free. And we're going to walk in incredible freedom. So the first point is going to be on the screen behind me is this. It's really simple this morning. But the promise that Abraham received that you can walk into freedom if you just believe. Trust in me. The promise is a gift. The promise is a gift. You see, this chapter, Paul begins, he starts off verse 1 to verse 5. He asks them this question, a rhetorical question. He says, how did you receive the Spirit of God? Did you receive it by behaving well, or did you receive it by faith? And Paul goes, he answers the question, doesn't give them a chance to answer. He goes, of course, you received it by faith. You receive the Spirit of God by faith as a gift. And, and, and Paul goes on and on and on. And, and in Colossians, he said, how did you receive Jesus? They said, by faith. He says, now live in Him by faith. Don't change it. You see, this is the, the novelty of our, the human brain. I think in South Africa, in our, in our Christianized society, many of us are comfortable with the fact, most of us, some of you might struggle still, but that's okay, with the fact that I've believed in Jesus so if I walk outside and get hit by a bus, I'm going to live, live in eternity with Jesus. We're comfortable with that. That's a huge, huge assumption to make. Am I right? But it's a good one. It's a godly biblical assumption that actually to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's, and most of us are comfortable going, if I die, actually I've trusted my, for Jesus for my salvation, so I'll be in eternity forever with Him. Most of us are okay with that. But the thing that I've, I've seen in my life, I'm okay with that, but then I thought, but this thing called life, surely there's something else I've got to do than just believe in Jesus. What logic is that? For eternity, I'm okay to believe in Jesus. But this thing, 70 plus minus years, let, let me get, I've got this one. And you think, no, 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 actually, you believe me for eternity, actually you're going to believe me for your everyday life here on earth, alone, holding on to that. I love that understanding that Colossians says, as you receive Christ, now walk in him. He's saying, how did you receive Christ? Did you perform any miracle to receive him? Did you pass a test? Did you do the charismatic shuffle? Or did you actually just believe in him? The Bible says you were dead. I believed in him. I came alive. And then I'm now saved. Many people say, now I'm saved. Now I've got to start doing the saved thing. No, actually he says, well, Paul says, how you receive Christ, now continue in him. Continue how you I believe in him by faith. So I'm going to, every day I'm going to say, I believe you by faith. And next day I'm going to believe you by faith. My marriage, I'm going to trust you by faith. Keep on going back to Jesus, our source, by faith. That is who we're called to be. We're called to be believers, not one-time believers, and then now doers. Believers continually until we meet Him face-to-face and ongoing into eternity. Believers. Thank you, Fiona. That's why I married you. That and because you're really pretty. But that as well. 
You see, what happens is the law, the law makes requirements. The law is always making requirements. Can I come down here? Is it all right? Can you see me? Good. The law is making requirements and it's always making demands and it's never satisfied. The law is always saying, actually, jump a little higher. And you're like, I'm there. And you go, actually, just a little higher. Okay. Now, just a little bit higher. And the law is that, that, that older brother who's always taunting you and always, and you're just never good enough. And actually, you never make it in. It's always asking for more. And it's all, and I want to tell you this. The Bible tells us is that we'll always be falling short of it. There's only ever been one man who's ever been able to attain the level of the law that it requires. And his name is Jesus. Here's the thing. Abraham received and believed the promise as a gift with no terms and conditions attached. He believed and he received it. There's a story that I, I've started to remember recently was that when we were planning for our, our wedding and our honeymoon, the 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 expenses were quite high and I wanted to treat my bride. I wanted to, and I was planning this and, and admin was not my skill. So I was sweating and stressing over this thing because I wanted to do it well. And, I, and the, the weeks leading up to it, I was starting to get the itinerary down and trying to book all the places and make sure that I had enough money to pay for it. And what are we going to eat for dinner that night? And, and I kept getting this message from a guy who's on the, on the periphery and kept asking, saying to me, hey, can we meet? I'm like, oh, buddy, I've got like a week to my wedding. And, I, and inside, I'll be honest with you, I'm going, he wants to meet because he wants something from me. He needs help. He wants something. And this, I'm usually okay for that. But I'm like, but I've got a wedding, man. Come on, I've got, I've got money to get together. Please. And then I leave it and I just ignore it for a few days. And I get a message, hey, when can we meet? I'm like, ah. eventually I'm like, ah, oh, see if I'm free, I'll let you know. And like, ah, oh, I've got something. I've got so much to do. He's going to want something from me. And this man hounded me until eventually I thought, you know what? I've only got 20 minutes so I can see you. And I go and see you. He said, that's fine. I'll take it. I got there. And he said, I just want to say, I've been thinking about you and your wedding and your marriage coming up. I want to bless you. And gave me an envelope full of cash. Yeah. Did I feel terrible or what? Yeah. Just revealed my heart, eh? But in that moment, I just, I think as I've been reminiscing over this, that that money helped us enjoy our honeymoon. It brought such release. I wasn't able to stress and strain. We're able to actually... Actually order dessert as well as a main every now and again, you know. But no, just only water, you know, Coke and then a water, you know, not allowed more than one drink, you know. Joking. This is Zimbabwean mentality. But, uh, but, uh, you know, this whole understanding that for us, that I, I, I think for us, we, we always, exp- we think the law, we live in this thing that, that stuff is required from us. It's needed. We need to do something. We need to do something. The law acts like that. Hey, we need to meet. We need to meet up. And, and, and you're knowing that you're going to have to attain to something. But here's the thing. The law demanded a righteousness. It demanded it. But actually what Jesus does, Jesus says, I supply a righteousness. The law demands it, but Jesus supplies it. Which one are we going to run to? The one who's demanding or the one who's supplying? I'm going to keep running to the one who's supplying. Scriptures tell us in Ephesians, and it, tell, it tells us again and again, we hear the scripture says, He has given us, past tense, I underline this in my Bible, past tense, He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. If you're thinking, actually, I'm falling short, I don't have enough, I, I keep messing up, I keep falling short, I don't have enough grace for people. Your, your, the ability to walk in grace and actually to, to mature as a Christian and walk in freedom is not dependent on trying harder, it's realizing that He's already given you Everything you need for right life and godliness. It's not playing hide and seek. You don't have to try and find it. I've got to try and find the grace. I've got to really pray hard for the grace today. Can I tell you, here's the secret. Trust Him, the one who supplies the grace. 
This is the gospel outworked. We find in Ephesians, it says this, He has blessed us, past tense, with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms. If you think that you are blessed because of something you do, you're biblically wrong. I grew up thinking that if I didn't look at pornography, then I'd really be blessed. And when I overcome that, then I'm going to be blessed. Can I tell you I overcame it and I realized that I'd been blessed the whole time? Because without the blessing, I'd never be able to overcome the pornography. Even in, in growing up, and here's a shocker, and it's, it's, in, it's been in the church, it was in me for many years. When I tithe, then I, then, and I can receive the blessing. No, it's not true. We tithe because we've received the blessing. We give because we've, re- we've be received. If we're giving to receive, then we're serving the Godfather. Not the fa- not Father God who says, I've given it to you. Now let's worship, let's walk together. Come. In relationship. This is the understanding that the promise is a gift. But here's the catch, is that we have to believe it and receive it. Just like that envelope, I could have put it off and put it off and put it off and never received it. But actually had to meet with it and actually had to receive it and take it from it. Thank you. And then apply it to my life. Believe it, receive it. The promise is a gift. Second point this morning. It won't be a long morning. The promise is a God. G-U-A-R-D. A God. The promise is a God. You see what happens with when we understand the promise, the promise brings security to our lives. When we understand the promise that Jesus brings, it brings a security. Because I think too often, I used to grow up with this mentality that you say, I, I love Jesus, and I'm in. But it's better to be safe than sorry. So let me at least like, do all the good things as well. You know, make sure. Just make sure. Like it's a double assurance. You know? Jesus, but also I'm a good guy. Which is logical thinking. But under, unfortunately, by trying to live by the law, it doesn't bring security, it brings insecurity. Because the law is always raising the bar, so you're always going, am I good enough? Have I given enough? Have I, have I prayed enough? Have I done enough? Have, have I? I'm not too sure. If blessing equals working, who determines how much work gets how much blessing? It's going to be tough. Because here the scripture tells in Galatians 3, as you go study at home, the purpose of the law, the law was never meant. What I mean by the law, the, the Ten Commandments and all the Mosaic law, the 400 and something laws that came with it, were never meant to bring freedom or healing to the people. The law was never meant to bring freedom for a people. The illustration I think Mark used last week, Matt Chandler says this, that the law is like an MRI scan. That if you're sick, and you, you don't know, hey, what's wrong with me? And you go to get an MRI scan, you go in. You can spend an hour, you can spend two hours, you can actually say, hey, leave me in here for the day. I'm chilling out on the MRI scan, it's working hard. That MRI, you come out and you go, am I better? No, no, no. We just now know what's wrong with you. Now we can take you to the doctor who's going to heal you. You see, the MRI scan was never designed to make you better. It was designed to reveal where you fell short. And was to drive you in the arm, into the arms of the only one who could redeem you, Jesus. The law was given to push us to the Savior. If you keep going back to the law, you're just going back to MRI scan. Come on, let me get better. No, you don't match up. Oh, I've got to try again tomorrow. Run to the one who can heal you. The scripture tells us this. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion. Don't you love that scripture? 
Who began a good work in me? It was Jesus. I was dead. I could not do anything. He saved me. He redeemed me. It was him alone, not my good works. I know that because I was rotten. I was rotten. And he saved me. He began the work in me. And he says, he who began a good work in me is faithful to bring it to completion. Can I tell you, I don't know about you, but my confidence does not rely on the fact he began a good work in me, but I will be faithful because I'm not. I will not bring it to completion. I know that. Here's the catch for you and me. Is that religion gets us making promises to God. Am I the only one who's ever done that? God, if you come through here, I promise you, I'll be at church next week. Unless it's a cold day. <laughs> then the next week, definitely. I remember making promises. I made promises as a, as a third general God. If she likes me, God. If you just get her to like me. I promise I'll serve you all my days. She didn't like me. <laughs> tough. I don't know about you, but whatever, sometimes we do it, they're going to be in silly things, but, but the human nature is where religion drives us to make promises to God. God, this is the last time I'm going to do that. But here's the beauty of what the promise offers us, what, what Jesus offers you and I today. Religion gets us making promises to God. The new covenant is God making promises to us through Jesus. I will never leave you nor forsake you, he said. Come on. It's good news. In 2 Timothy, there's a great, one of my favorite scriptures says this, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. What security that brings my heart. If I'm, if I'm trusting the Lord to make me right, if I'm trusting anything else to make me right, then the onus is on me. But if I'm trusting the promise giver to make me right, the one who does not lie, the one who cannot deny himself, Numbers 23 tells us that God is not a man that he should lie. This is the glorious, glorious news of the gospel. Final point this morning. The promise is a gift, number one. It's believed and received. The promise is a God. It's walked and it brings security to our hearts. So that whenever we fall short, we know actually, but my security is in you. It's holding me together. The third and final point is the promise is a guarantee. This is a 3G sermon brought to you by Vodacom. The promise is a guarantee. You see what happened is I, be, I, I growing up in, in a Christian environment, a good environment, but I think sometimes I miss the beauty. See, sometimes the good, we think we get sold the good when actually we clouds out Jesus. Jesus is the, the reason we have a faith at all. It's not about moralistic, he's not after our moralistic doing well. It's actually, let go of that, hold on to me. Hold on to me. You know, actually, it's not enough. John Piper tells it's not enough just to be believers because even the de- demons believe. We call to be believe and receive and, and lean on him for everything and say, you're the lover of my soul and see the delight of him. He's beautiful. Not useful, but beautiful. But there's an illustration for me that I've, I've always loved has been helpful is that actually religion and the law sets up a ladder and every single religion on the planet earth does this. It sets up a ladder with things that you have to do to get to God. And you set up and you start, you set your ladder against the wall and they say, cool, rung one is doing this. You're like, okay, here we go, here we go. And, and you have to visit this in, 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 in Islam. It's got a Mecca, the five pillars. You've got to keep doing it and hope by the end you get up to the right God, hopefully. In every other religion, if, if you go up karma, hopefully at the end, by the end of it, I'll get reincarnated and to a nice house cat, not a 
not a one on the street. You know, I don't know, whatever religion you come from, and then this, and even this moralistic form of Christianity does it as well, where it puts up a ladder and says, please God, if you just, if you keep doing that, if you tithe, if you obey, if you attend, if you do, if you, if you do all this, you can get there, you'll get blessings, and you do that. And the problem though with that is, it's very tiring. And, and often when you, it's like a game of snakes and ladders, when you get to the third rung, you realize, ah, I messed up, I didn't do it quite right. Back, back to begin, do not pass, go, don't collect 200 rand. So I'm mixing up my games here. The classics. But it's like back up to the top, ah, oh, just fall short, just, ah, oh, back to the beginning, try harder. When actually religion sets up a ladder, but actually what Jesus came to do was he said, actually, there's an escalator between you and God. And Jesus says, I am the escalator. He said, if you hold on to me, by default, the destination is the Father. So what happens is you trust Jesus and you get on this and you, you enjoy this journey with Jesus. And you're trusting him, holding on to him. And the escalator is going. And you're becoming more and more like Jesus as you walk because you realize that actually it's not my efforts. It's my, it's my intimacy with him that, that leads me to godliness. And as I hold on to Jesus, not holding on to other things and getting distracted, the, the escalator is going, the escalator is going. and becoming more and more like him, becoming close to the Father. And then I mess up. And I sin. Fall short. I don't, I don't hold my tempers up. I, I really would like to do. And I go, oh, and I fall. This is terrible. This is dreadful. And then we get up and we look and we realize the escalator is still moving. I'm getting closer to the Father. Because it's not in my abilities or my disabilities that disqualify me or qualify me. It's in who I am trusting to get me there. Pull down the ladder. Jump on the escalator. You see, the understanding for me, why this is encouraging for me, is I think so many Christians live with a fear that they live a Katy Perry existence. I'm in and then I'm out. Then I'm hot, then I'm cold. <laughs> I hope that one day when, when I die, that it's that day that God's in a good mood with me. <sighs> Touch and go. Here's the understanding. When you've come to Christ, do you know what happens? The scripture tells us that God invests in us at that moment. What does he invest in us? Not rand, a currency that can go up and down. Not some forex, not some uh, something on the stock exchange. He invests in us. The first thing that Paul tells us, or Ephesians tells us, this is he, he gives us the Holy Spirit as a seal, guaranteeing us of the deposit. A deposit guaranteeing us of our inheritance. In Ephesians 1, the Holy Spirit, he's invested, has given us the Holy Spirit. On top of that, Colossians 1 tells us that the mystery of the gospel is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here's what I love to say. If those of you wondering, you know, if I come to Jesus and then I mess up, am I in, am I out? What's the thing? Well, here's the thing. He's invested Christ in you. He's not walking away from that investment. If it was, if he, if it was you that you had invested something, ah, uh, it's not that, if it's, actually I'm leaning on how good I am. If that's your investment, he goes, well, that's not a great investment. I'm going to trump you and put Christ in you. Because I don't walk away from myself. He's invested. Here's another one just to really encourage you this morning. Is that when we came to Christ, the, the, the book of Luke tells us when one sinner repents, that there's a party in heaven. A party going on in heaven. And I don't think they're partying, partying, looking with a disclaimer. I hope, let's see how long this one lasts. Guys, don't open the good stuff. You know, we, we're not too sure about this guy. I mean, it looks cool, but I mean, no, they party, they rejoice. And there's a, the book of Revelation tells us that he writes our names down in the Lamb's book of life. Here's a great news for you. There's no divine tippics. I am confident with this fact that when you believe in Jesus, you trust Him. The Bible says when you repent, you confess your mouth, believe in your heart, you will be saved. I believe strongly that there is no going back on that. Because how did you get saved? 
by believing in him. You didn't earn it. You can't lose it. He gave it. He keeps it. I want to be clear with our, our theology on this here because I believe that it revolutionizes everything. When I say my theology, it's Paul's theology, the Bible's theology, but anyway, up for debate. You see, for me, I used to always think that to preach a radical gospel meant to get up, and I used to do this at youth camps and tell young guys who are pumped and say, Die for God! Die for Jesus! And everyone, oh, I want to die for God. Radical. Or I thought. And so I realized that every religion has men dying for God. ISIS does it, and they glorify it. We died for God. When actually, true radical is this. God died for you. That's the gospel. The only thing that makes our gospel different to any other the religion on the face of the planet, any form of salvation, is that you must die for God. We say, no, no. God says, I'll die for you. God died. That's how huge this is. If you're saying, oh, don't, oh, don't, you're making less of sin. No, I am not. Sin was such a big deal, it demanded the greatest sacrifice, Jesus Christ. If you think that your sacrifice that you can do of a little bit of works is better than what he did, then you're the blasphemer, not me. I am so power, I'm so, so in love with this Jesus. I'm holding on to him and I want to preach it because this is what happens. We, we get, allow ourselves to get into the safety of a cage. Jesus, but, you know, don't be so radical, Gabe. You're basically saying Jesus is not enough for me. Jesus is enough for me. He is enough for me. He's enough for you. And let's hold on to him with everything I have. Can I tell you why there's this to land this morning? Is that Jesus, when he came, on this earth, he went into the cage of the law. He walked into the cage of the law. And the law measured him up, up and down. And the law found him faultless. How do I know? Can I tell you this? That actually he had perfect obedience. The accuser, the enemy came in Luke chapter 4 and tried to tempt him. And Jesus passed the test thoroughly. The enemy could not find a fault with him. Mankind couldn't. Pilate says, I find no fault in him. Nobody could find fault in this man. Why? Jesus came, worked into the cage. The only man who could walk into the cage of the law and go, perfect obedience. Bam. Done. He obeyed the law completely. He so much so, he says, I did not come away to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it. How clever is God? He didn't remove it. He's not there. He didn't want to get us off on a technicality. He didn't want to say, actually, oh, I just ignore the law. You guys are kind and nice. It's cool. No, no. We're rotten. So he went and he obeyed perfectly and every single level of the law, done, done, tick, 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 I pass. Perfect obedience. And only one man, in that way, only one man earns the blessing of the Father. Jesus, as as man, earned the blessing of the Father. He earned it. But here's a beautiful thing for you and I today. Jesus also went into the swamp of our licentiousness. He waded in it and the Bible tells us he became our sin. The perfect one, the only one who could earn a blessing, said, I went in and I became, the Bible, Luke, uh, Galatians chapter 3, as you read there, it says that he became our sin, he died on the cross, and he became the curse. He became the curse. Jesus. He became, he won our blessing, and then on the very next day, he came and he became the curse. In that moment, that, in that moment, he became the curse, he became the rejected, he became the one on the outside, he became the addicted, he became the, the villain, he became the angry adulterer, he became that, so that he could open up the way for you and I to 
receive the blessing. Jesus earned the blessing, but took the curse. So we earned the curse, but we get to take the blessing. Can I tell you, the scriptures tell us that by our, the Bible says, by your best works are filthy rags. Filthy rags to God. Again, Romans tells us the wages of sin is death. It's curse. If we measure every single one of us with the law, the law will end up pronouncing over us, cursed. You are cursed. We earned it. We did well in our sin. I'm the first one to say, I'm good at that. I earned it. I earned that curse. But the great news is that Jesus earned the blessing, but took the curse so that we earned the curse. We get to take the blessing. This morning, I want to tell us in this moment that I believe in this room, the bony finger of the law is pointing and jabbing at your chest and saying, you fall short. You're not good enough. You've messed up. You don't have enough. You are just always going to be like that. But what Jesus did on that day on Calvary, when he started to walk up that hill, he snapped the bony finger of the law. See, it is finished. Your voice, your power is done over my people. That barking dog of Satan that follows us everywhere and reminds us of our past, reminds us of our our weakness, divorced, divorced, angry, loser, financially irresponsible, that voice that just keeps on barking. On that day when Jesus plunged the cross into Calvary, he silenced that barking dog forever. The enemy has been defeated. Religion loves to resurrect an enemy and say, actually, you've got to fight an enemy to win the blessing. We just said, no, I fought the battle to kill the enemy so you can run into the blessing. Can I tell you what repentance is? Repentance this morning is you and I letting go of the cage, letting go of our attempts to try and win God's favor. Repentance is saying, actually, I let go of the swamp and I'm putting both hands on Jesus. It's not about groveling. It's not about beating yourself into submission. It's letting go and say, I trust you, Jesus. Because Abraham believed God and he was counted as righteous. You and I get to respond to the promise the same way today. I want to land with this, that religion finds God useful. The gospel finds God beautiful. Useful for an end, but actually, Jesus, I want to tell you, Jesus is everything. He is the beginning. He is the end. He's your start point. He's your, he is your gift. He's your God. He's your guarantee. He is the promise. If we hold on to him. This morning, I want to pray for us, but here's our imperatives. Can we believe and receive? I think many of us mentally have gone, yes, I believe that, but we haven't received it and walked in it. We've had that phone call. The guy says, here's the envelope for your honeymoon. We go, that's great. Thank you. And we're looking at it. Thank you. I believe I've got it, but we haven't received it as the gift, as the God, as the guarantee that fuels our walk with Jesus. I pray that you'll find him the most beautiful and powerful Savior as we do it. Let's pray. In this moment, with every eye closed and every heart fixed on Jesus, this moment as I preach Jesus, I believe the Holy Spirit lives to glorify Jesus. And as we preach Jesus as glorious, as magnificent, as everything to us, the Holy Spirit is drawn to that message. And he's here working on hearts. He's here not condemning us, but the Bible tells us convicting us of our righteousness. Convicting us of what Jesus has given to us. 
I want to ask in this moment, in a radical moment, not to for you to die or you to try harder, but you to actually believe that Jesus died. I can live fully in him. If you've been slipping into the cage, if you've been slipping into the swamp, and you're saying, actually, today I want to not just live with one hand on Jesus, but both hands on Jesus, and allow this gospel, this gift, this God, this guarantee to go deep in my heart. If that's you, I want you to, as in, as symbolically, take your hands and lift them up as high as you can. Say, Jesus, I'm taking hold of you. Father, I pray as hands get lifted up to you, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, God, the gospel works again and again and again. It reminds us that you are beautiful, that you're all sufficient, that you're our provider. We don't have to make a plan. We trust you, Jesus, that you're our source, that you're our forgiver, that you're our father. You're the one who empowers us. Your grace teaches us to say no to unrighteousness. But it's your grace that teaches us. And grace is not a message, it's a person. His name's Jesus. I thank you right now with every hand going up. God, Holy Spirit, feel hearts with your gospel. Feel hearts with the good news of Jesus right now. That you will be more than enough for us. That God, there's no joy in the cage. There's no joy in the swamp. There's only joy found in holding onto you with all our, our hearts. And as we take hold of you, we find out, Jesus, that all along you're holding us. So I'm jealous for you. And I'll have you serve no other gods. Not religion, not a, f- a form of trying better. You'll serve no other gods except me, Jesus. Trust me and watch fruit start to pop up in your life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.